You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast where Welsh rugby matters. Wales make it 11 from 11 and keep the Grand Slam dream alive, but it was not much of a spectacle and may have left us with more questions than answers. Over the next hour, we'll be looking at what the victory over Italy means, not just for the Six Nations, but for the bigger picture of the World Cup. And we'll also be looking at the other games as Ireland bounce back to beat Scotland and England blow France away at Twickenham. Before we get underway, a quick word for our sponsors, So Coffee Trades. If you've not listened before, So Coffee is a great young Welsh business run by the Ospreys hooker, Scott Otten, who I caught up with this weekend, and he's very kindly replenished my coffee supplies. And if you want to do the same and get your hands on some top quality coffee, why not do that by downloading the So Coffee app? And you'll even get 15% off as well. On a week when all the talk has been about squad rotation, we've been at it ourselves. And Dan Killick has been off on a scouting mission behind enemy lines watching England. So we've drafted in top journalist and good friend of the show, Stefan Thomas. Steph, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, how much did you enjoy that weekend of rugby? Um, I always enjoy Six Nations weekend, but I thought it was a bit bit of a damp squib as well, if I'm being honest. Did you? Um, you know, you, you look at that England game. Against France, I mean England were, you know, it's not a criticism of England. I thought they were fantastic, but France have just, you know, they how poor were France? I mean, England were kicking behind, you know, behind the the back three throughout the game. You know, they scored a try in the first minute from it, and France couldn't even be bothered to to fix it. It was so obvious. Um, obviously, you know, the Wales Italy game was a poor quality test match. I thought uh, Scotland and Ireland was decent, but. Mm. Um, I don't think it's lived up to the billing all round that that it, it was given before the tournament, obviously apart from the, the England Island game in Dublin. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I think I think last weekend was certainly a lot better in terms of in terms of the drama you had in the Wales game than of course the the fantastic quality of the of the England game. But you're right, there was a, you know, there was a, a real mismatch this weekend in the England game. Uh, which we'll be looking at later. Then you've also got Wales playing essentially a, an A team against uh, against Italy, and yeah, the, the the Scotland game I thought was probably the pick of, the pick of the weekend. Um, and there's some good quality rugby in there, but yeah, I know what you mean in terms of the the overall quality. But I, I think this you know this might be the this might be the the weekend where the the quality's dipped a bit. Um, and yeah, hopefully it's going to bounce back as as we go into the tournament. Uh, we're going to be talking about those those other games later on, but we're going to start with fact or fiction, which is the first part of the show. Five statements, and Steph and I will debate whether they are true or false. <coughs> so, statement number one: ten changes was simply too many for Gatland to find out his best team. Fact or fiction, Steph? Fiction. Um, I, I think. Look, you know, 
Warren Gatlin's been very honest about what he's been trying to do. I mean, obviously, it's a delicate balancing act, isn't it? Because, you know, between doing well in the World Cup and doing well in the Six Nations, and look, I mean, winning England may cause still changes like that. Mm. Ireland, to a lesser extent as well. It doesn't affect them as much because obviously they have they have more players to choose from. But from a Welsh perspective, I think in the past when when we have selected a so-called second string, you know, we've either lost or scraped a win. Mm. But I think the the gap between first choice player and second choice player isn't isn't as great as it you know as as it once was. Um, you know, you could make an argument for. You know, for argument's sake, Jake Ball being in the starting team, mm. Samson Lee, um, even Thomas Young, I suppose. So, um, you know, obviously we, we have got, um, three or four, oh, three or four sort of key players that we can't be without. Let, let's, let's not beat around the bush with that. Um, but certainly, you know, Warren Gatling one knows that the World Cup is going to be such an intense environment that he's going to have to rotate his squad. And yes, it, it, you know, as I said, Five minutes ago, it was a poor test match. Wales weren't great, but realistically, the result was never in doubt, was it? Um, no. I, I never felt they were going to lose. And, you know, it's a, as I said, it's a balancing act. And, you know, he's explained why he's done it. And, you know, I, I, I can't really find much fault in it, to be honest. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I just think 10 was probably a bit too many because, you know, if you look at the way the line out functions, now that to me was was completely conducive of of a set of players who aren't familiar at playing test match rugby together. Now, obviously, I suppose on the flip side is come the World Cup, if they are and they've ironed those creases out, that's great. But I think the kind of the, the knock on effect of what it had, um, of what it meant to kind of the rest of the side is it just meant we weren't able to secure any good quality ball which then makes it more difficult for the for the backs. So I don't know. I just think I think it was kind of more. I think we would have benefited from having another look at, at the same halfbacks who played in Paris, who I think could have benefited from from a, a bit more a bit more game time at a test level and and an opportunity to kind of to have a bit of a run at it. So I don't know. I, I think look, ultimately it, it is about the bigger picture of the World Cup, isn't it? Because if Wales get to a World Cup semi final or a World Cup final. An unimpressive win over Italy away is going to be long forgotten, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that the 2015 World Cup was a bit of a wake-up call for Gatland, wasn't it? In mm. terms of the the lack of depth Wales had. I mean, Wales were, you know, they, they were down to the Bare the last sort of it? wave of sort of international class players, and they gave it a good go, didn't they, in the last mm. World Cup with a lot of injuries? It probably should have made the the semi-final, to be honest, but. Um, you know, I think Gatlin realised then that he needed to build depth a bit. You know, it's not not really done to him as much because it's it's up to the up to the regions mm. in terms of the players they produce, etc., which they do quite well. But um, you know, he need he knew he needed to blood these players, and you know, he said himself, you know, if you go back to 2016 tour to New Zealand, mm. the midweek game where we were humiliated against the Chiefs, that was the start of it. You know, he he began to see which players had an international future who was ready, who wasn't, who might be ready, who's never going to be good enough. And I think every player on the park yesterday, yes, it, it was very rusty because there was no cohesion, but every player, in my opinion, on the park has an international future. Mm. Whereas in the past, when we've had second strings and we've sent them to it, out to Italy or, or to play a South Sea Island side, you know, there's been a lot of players on the park which are decent regional players but are never going to be international players. I can't really pick one player yesterday who who won't who, who isn't good enough for international rugby. I'm not I'm not saying that you know they're, they're going to be all going to be world class. Yeah. But they're all they're all able to hold their own. And I think you're right about the line out. If we had a, a fully functioning line out, I think we would have won that game with a bonus point. Mm. Um, and I think you know if this team had played together for longer, they they cause a little bit of damage. Um, you know to everybody apart from Ireland and England probably. So um, look, I understand what he's done. Um, and I, I can't really find much fault in it, to be honest. But, um, you know, it doesn't take a genius to work out that, um, you know, we'll have to be a lot better to um, even compete with England in, in a fortnight's time. No, you're absolutely right. I think the, the really interesting point there, though, is if you, you know, we mentioned that we've sent out second string sides against South Sea Island teams, you know, mainly out of necessity over the years 
in the autumn games. Yeah. It's been a very, very long time since Gatland has sent out a, a wholesale change side in a Six Nations game. Really, the last time I can remember him doing it was a similarly unconvincing win in 2009. And I yeah. think, I think, you know, from that point onwards, he's not felt comfortable enough doing it. And in a way, the, the, the pure fact that he sent out a, a side with, uh, with 10 changes in it, I think shows the confidence that he has in those set of individuals. Yes, it might not have produced a particularly expansive and fluid game of rugby, but at the same time, I, I think you, the point you've, you've nailed there is that all of those players do have an international future. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously in, in terms of the England game in a fortnight, um, it sounds an odd thing to say because Wales have won 11 games on the bounce. Um, but you feel England have more momentum than Wales. Mm. That's the only, the only issue. Um, judging on the first two games, I mean, France, France were awful today. Um, you know, they, they were dreadful in the second half against Wales, but Wales were lucky to win that game. Italy aren't very good and, Wales won comfortably, but they, they didn't convince. So, as I said, Wales are going to have to have to go up tenfold to, to beat England. They can beat England, but they're going to have to improve immeasurably to win that game. And I think selection is going to be key for Gatland. And um, there's a couple of positions up for grabs, I think, and um, the balance needs to be right. Well, I'm keen to get your thoughts on selection, and we'll definitely have a chat about that in a little bit. But while you've mentioned there that the Wales can beat. England, that's kind of leads me on to this next point, actually. The fact that Wales haven't played their best so far doesn't mean they won't against England, fact or fiction. Um, say again. Sorry. <laughs> I've just realised, actually, yeah, it's, it's one of those that's quite tricky for fact or fiction because I've not put it in the, in the best possible syntax. So just because Wales haven't played their best so far doesn't mean they won't play their best against England. Um... Fact, I think. Um, you know, it's a cup, Six Nations game, game, it's a cup, it's cup rugby, isn't it? Yeah. It's not like, you know, it's not like, you know, the club rugby, you know, you're playing in a Gallagher Premiership game and sort of form goes, you know, form goes out to the window in a lot of Six Nations games. Um, obviously, momentum is, is key. I mean, you know, I'm contradicting myself a bit, but you know, when Wales have won the Grand Slam, Grand Slams in the past, like like in 2005, you know, they didn't play that well when mm-hmm. they beat with the Henson kick, but they won, and then momentum started to flow. Um, but I, England are the favourites. There's no doubt about that. I think England are a better team than Wales. Uh, I haven't got any doubt about that either. But Wales at their best. But Warren Gatland is at his best. Historically, has always been at his best in win in terms of winning one-off games. Yeah, you know that's why he's one of the best Lions coaches in history because he has the ability to to really sort of you know it's hard to put into words. He he he's a ta- he's, tactically he's very good. A lot of people criticise him in Wales, but tactically only an idiot would say he's not good tactically mm. given what he's won. But he he just has that. That, that ability, he's better than Eddie Jones and he's probably better than Joe Smith at this. Smith is the better coach looking at the long run. Mm. But in terms of Gatland, he's great at getting the best out of his players in a short space of time, if you get what I mean. I do. And, and they would have been targeting this England game. Obviously, the, the first two, the French game is always going to be tricky because France were always going to play better in the first half against Wales than any other game in the championship, really, weren't they? Because, you know, it was, they were home and, and whatnot. But I, I, I just think that when Wales are at their best, they can beat any side in the world, apart from New Zealand, in my opinion. Mm. But in England, it, it, the problem Wales have got, they're going to have to stop England. They're going to have to find a way of stopping England physically. And obviously, you know, the, the key for Wales, the area where Wales have always been better than England over the past decade, is the breakdown. Now, yeah. Sam Warburton isn't here anymore. You know, whatever people say, he, he's all, you know, he was the first name in the team sheet. Um, he was a world class seven at the breakdown. Um, Ellis Jenkins was a monumental blow, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, coming into the championship. He's he's Warburton Mark Two, isn't he? Really, he is um, mini Warbs. And I'm a big, I'm a massive Tipperick fan, but I, honest to God, think that Thomas Young has to be involved against England because I think if you look at England, ruck ball, any team really, ruck ball is key. The, the, pay, the how, how fast 
you know, you get the ball away from the from the breakdown mm. is key is key to unlocking any defence. And Wales can't win an arm wrestle against England. Wales have a decent they've got a dominant scrum, they've got a good scrum, they've got a decent scrum. I think they'll be they'll be solid. England might edge it, but I don't think it's going to be a deciding factor. If Wales try to bully England, try to take them on in their own game, they can't shirk the physical battle. That's you know That's that, international rugby, right? You can't do that, obviously. But you try and take them on up front, you're going to lose, and you're going to lose comfortably. Where Wales have got to win the game is that, as I've said now, is, is, that, is that the breakdown? And they're going to have to play, if they're going to beat England as well, I honestly think they've got to pick Anscombe over bigger. Mm-hmm. I know Anscombe has his flaws. I know defensively he's not the best. But he is, his, his peripheral vision is far greater. And I just think that, you know, it, it's, it's your your viewer is going to think I'm absolutely mental for saying this, but I, I would pick I would pick Thomas Young ahead of Justin Tipperick and he's Tipperick as an impact player because I just think Young is a better exponent of breakdown play and I just think that that is an area the Wheels have to win if, if they're going to beat England. Well, you're certainly giving me the runaround tonight, Steph, as well. I knew we should have run through the running order before we uh, we came on air because you've, you've started uh, tackling all kinds of issues that we haven't even got onto. So I want to stay with the back row because that was going to be uh, point number three. And I was going to say was going to ask this one. Navidi has done enough to secure his place in the side against England. Fact or fiction? Uh, don't even worry about it being fact or fiction. I just want to hear what that what that back row should be for you against England. Yeah, I, I would say fact. Um, uh, you know, I, th- I think Navidi's. Um, I think he was excellent yesterday, and I, and I thought he was excellent against France. Even in that first half, where wheels were awful. You know, he was. Um, probably the pick of the bunch. Um, <clears throat> look, you know, I, you know, if you tweet this, you're gonna have people calling me an idiot, calling me bonkers. I, I think I'm a big, big Justin Tipperick fan. I think he's a tremendous rugby player, mm. right? And I'm not saying that he isn't good at the breakdown. But I'm telling you that Thomas Young is a better player at the breakdown. I'm telling you, Navidi's better at the breakdown, and I just think, I, I, I just think Young just, if, if you look at the England team, right? People are saying that Tuolagi, for example, and Vunipola are giving them an extra, a new dimension mm. that they didn't have, obviously, because they've been injured for a while. That's rubbish. They, they just allow them to do what they've always done better. The guy who gives them a different dimension is Curry at open side because they've mm. never really had a, a sufficient out-and-out seven. So that makes means England are a far better side this year than last year. So... Suddenly, Wales haven't got free reign at the breakdown, which they had in recent seasons against England, because that's that's why they've they've won games against England in the past. And I I just think that Young is, you know, he, he had such a good game yesterday. Um, if he was playing in Wales a stronger side, I think we, you know, obviously he would have he would have stood out a lot more. But I I, I honestly think that that Wales have to go hell for leather at the breakdown and. If Ellis Jenkins was set to pick him, but I, I honestly think that Thomas Young needs to be considered for a starting berth. I think he, you know, he he is the perfect player to go toe to toe with Curry. And I, I, I'll be honest with you as well. I mean, anybody who watches the Premiership will probably tell you that Young's a better player than him anyway. Um, he's probably been the best seven in England for the past two seasons. So why not? You know, these players in the England back row struggle against Young. They've yeah. all struggled against him. So why not pick him? He knows these players inside out. I think it would be a masterstroke to pick Thomas Young. Will Gatland do it? Probably not, because I just think you know he's a loyal. He's loyal to his players, and mm. again, I'm not. This isn't. I'd rate Tipperick highly. It's not a criticism whatsoever. You know, if he plays, I'm sure he'll do a decent job. But and I do think he is a better all-round player than Young. Uh, but I, I just think you know Gatland's loyal to his to the players that have. That have done well, done well for him in recent times, mm. and Chipbrick has done exceptionally well for him, as has um, uh, you know Josh Navidi. But it's just my personal opinion. Um, you know, who am I at the end of the day? Probably just an average journalist. So personally, I'd pick Thomas Young, but I, I think Gatman would uh, would probably stick with Chipbrick. I certainly wouldn't say you're an average journalist, Steph. Uh, you, you're the Justin Tipperick of journalists, so I'll leave that to you to, uh, to, to dissect exactly what that means. Um, is there anything to be said for looking at a back row with both Young and Tipperick in it, or does it does it have to be one or the other? No, I don't. I know. I think there's, there's enough. You know, that's a perfectly um, 
that'd be a perfectly um, good selection. But you know, as as you said, I mean, t- you know, Josh Navidi has been excellent in in the first two games. Um, he's a bit more physical than than Tipperick and Young, um, and you're going to need that, aren't you, to, to combat England? Um, I don't think Navidi is an out and out seven. He's, mm. he's a six and a half, isn't he? Um, yeah, I think at international level he is. I think he's. I think he's a perfectly yeah. good um, open side at, at club level. I think that extra that extra dimension that's required to be international open side. I would say yeah, he probably falls into that six and a half bracket. But he'll certainly slow ball down and he'll win you bonus turnovers. And his his pure work rate is is just what's so impressive for me. Yeah, and I think you know Thomas Young isn't the biggest man, is he? No, that's Tipperick. Um And I think Navidi does offer. Or for the extra bit of physicality, but I, te- I tell you, who was ridiculously good against France, Ross Moriarty. Mm. He's outstanding in the autumn as well against South Africa and Australia. He hasn't played a game for a couple of months. He comes in and he's, you know, he's Hit the ground, one, one of the best players in the park. And you know, Mo- Moriarty is. Um, I think he's got the. He's a he's a test match animal, isn't he? He's not. You know, perhaps he doesn't do a week in week out for the Dragons, <laughs> yeah. um, but. Bigger the game, the the bigger the performance, and he's a better blindster than he is number eight. But he's still a very good number eight, and he's another guy. I mean, if you know, if you go back two years when England won with that you know, last minute yeah. uh, late try, um, the game turned when when Howley took him off. If he stayed on the, on the field, you can never say definitely, but they they like they probably would have won the game. And you know, in, England are still England have got different dimensions to their game behind the scrum, but. Their first port of call is still to bully sides up front. Mm-hmm. They go they go really hard with one up runners, and you know Moriarty would, um, you know, he's, he's going to relish that. And um, you know, it's a real pity that Dan Lydiat isn't fit either, because I think this game would have been made for him. But you know, obviously, um, you know, Josh Navidi has been doing very well. But I, I think that the key for Gatlin is getting the the half back selection right and the back row selection right. We're definitely going to talk about the halfbacks very, very shortly, but I do want to stay on the back row for a minute because one man we haven't mentioned in there is Aaron Wainwright. Now, again, I thought he had a very impressive game again yesterday. Um, I think his athleticism is something that's, uh, and again, anyone who's listened to this knows how big a fan I am of, of Wainwright, but I think his athleticism is really, really important. And he does, to me, look like an out-and-out six who just gets through so much work. And again, I think he's the kind of guy who, who would relish a game like this against England. Really keen to get your thoughts on what you've made of his the, the start to his test career. I'm a massive fan. He's one of these players, um, because the the standard of rugby in in the you know the, the lower leagues in Wales isn't isn't really good enough. Um, and there was constant debate over that. But you know he mm. played for Cardiff Met, got his opportunity for Newport, and got his opportunity for the Dragons. And you keep I kept thinking, oh. You know, it's only because the Dragons, um, you know, they haven't got much money and this and that. But every time he steps up a level, he gets better and he gets better and he gets better. Right. And he came off the bench. Um, I think it was against, um, it was against South Africa, wasn't it? In the autumn quite early. And you're, and you're starting to think, oh, Jesus Christ, look at the size of the Springbok loose forwards. Mm. You know, how dynamic they are. He's a good player, but he's going to struggle. No, he didn't. You know, he, he, he looked like he played 60 or 70 test matches. Um, and even even in the Italian game, which was a, a pretty mediocre performance at best from Wales, the front five didn't function, but the back mm. row, um, you know, was the reason that they, they they still won the game comfortably. And I thought Wainwright was, but him and Thomas Young, and well, all three back rowers really were excellent. And he's one of these players. He reminds me of Dan Lydiat in terms yeah. of how physical he is, how hard he is, his defence is outstanding. But he's a he's got a carrying game as well. He's, he's a nice footballer. I think he's got huge, huge potential, and you know, looking forward to the World Cup, I think he's he's a real, you know, bolter for the starting team. I mean, he's yeah. a sort of guy you give him if there's an injury, right? He's already proven to Gatland that he's good enough to be in the 23 with his performances in the autumn. But he's a sort of guy. Say there was a late, it, hopefully there isn't. Say he was on the bench and somebody pulled out, before, you know, in the warm up to mm. the England game, and he started. He's the sort of guy he'd play so well, you won't be able to drop him. Yeah. I think he's he's got the ability, to, you know, to win 70, 80 test, um, you know, international caps. He's he's that good, and um, you know, I I I, I go Navidi against England because you know he's the man in possession, and mm. I, you know he's he's got 
bit bit more of a jockeying threat at the breakdown. But yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, Alan Wainwright. Yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one, the England game, isn't it? Because you're right. Do you try and slow it by playing two, yeah, two players like Navidi and Tipperick or Navidi and Young who are going to offer enough threat to, to jackal and, and really slow that ball down? Or do you pick someone like Wainwright, who is an out and out six, in my opinion, and, you know, will get through loads and loads of tackling work and be very strong at the contact area. It's, uh, oh, it's going to be a fascinating selection and it's a really difficult one. I think there's going to be a hell of a lot of work going on, uh, in training over the next couple of weeks. And that is what you want is competition for, posi- uh, for competition for positions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, in terms of your first statement, I, Personally, prefer the traditional back row, mm. out no six, out no seven, out no eight. But because of injuries, you know, we, we can't, the balance just isn't, the, the Welsh back row isn't, the, the balance could be better, but unfortunately with Farleto out, it, it's, you know, it's just not, it's just not possible at mm. the moment because the one year in Wales where we haven't got any depth is number eight. Moriarty's a six, but he's still our second best number eight. Yeah. Um, Hence the reason they made a serious play for Sam Moore, the you know the the serial number eight. Um, but yeah, certainly competition for places is is hugely important in in any successful environment in professional sport. Um, you know, you you look at the All Blacks. The reason that they're they're always the best side in the world is is because you know you, you could be Bowden Barrett, you could win seventy caps or a player of the year. But if you're not playing well, you know there's three or four guys behind you that. Could, could be as good, if not better, than you if they had the opportunity. Um, so, you know, it, it is vitally important. But I, I do think sometimes, you know, it, it can be a, not a weakness, but some, you know, you do need to settle on what your best team is as well. Mm. You know, even the All Blacks have their core group of five or six, seven players that are und- almost undroppable. I know it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but you've got to have a strong spine to your yeah. team as well. But certainly competition for places is, is key. And, um, you know, for once we've, we've got that in most positions. Yeah, I agree. And just to finish on Moriarty, I think, yeah, you're right. I, I do believe six is, is probably his best position, but you look at the, in my opinion, his two best performances for Wales, where he's looked, to use your phrase, the, the absolute test match animal, uh, both been with eight on his back that England game two years ago and against, uh, and against France where he really stepped up and, and gave Wales, you know, that, that dynamic ball carrying option. Um, whenever that was uh, just over a week ago. So, um, you know, I'm going to play a bit of, uh, you know, there was advocate here. I think, on. right. If Wales had a back row out against England with Moriarty at six, mm. Jenkins at seven and Farleto at eight, I think they'd beat them. Because I don't think England have enough at the breakdown to counter Wales, but we haven't. But you know, come the World Cup, that's um, that could be mouth-watering. And obviously, there's not to mention Justin Tipperick, where he brings, and maybe even Thomas Young as well. Um, but I, I just think you know, um, when Farlett goes back, I think the back row will go up a couple of notches. Not just because he's an absolute world-class eight, but because the balance would be a, ro- a lot better. Mm. It's good now when it's an unbalanced back row, but. When Farleto's back, um, hopefully be back for the World Cup. But I, I think um, the Welsh back row will be among the best in the world. Yeah, I, well, I can't disagree with that. Do you, are you a bit worried about the the kind of the constant, well, not constant, but the fact Toby, Toby's not really strung together a, a string of games for Wales and this kind of recurrence of injuries, is that something that, that's going to be a concern heading into, you know, while we're only a few months away from the World Cup? Uh, absolutely, it's a concern. I mean, for years he was the man, Mr. Indestructible, wasn't he? A man that very rarely got injured, but yeah, unfortunately everybody gets, um, every player eventually gets, um, you know, the, the injury curse, doesn't he? And, um, it is concerning. I mean, you know, that, you know, it's fairly bad luck, isn't it? I mean, you know, he, he breaks his arm and he comes back for Bath, he has a storming game, and then he breaks his arm again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just Sodge's law, isn't it? But yeah, it, it is very concerning. Um, similar with, with Halfpenny and his, his concussion. I mean, you know, when you get to a certain age, um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be a bit more concerning rather than if he was, uh, you know, in his early twenties. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is concerning, but, you know, I'm sure, you know, with the right medical care, I'm not an expert, obviously, and um, so you'll get back, um, 
yeah, park on the field. All right. Well, we've still got a couple more things to come, and uh, we're going to be talking more about Wales after the break. And, of course, we're going to be looking at the other results and what they mean for Wales and, indeed, for the course of the Championship. So all of that to come after this very, very short break. Right, next one, Steph, for fact or fiction. Gatlin needs to settle on a number 10 by the end of the Six Nations in order for Wales to have a successful World Cup. Fact or fiction? Fiction. Mm. Um, I, I would like him to settle on on uh, on first choice 10, but I don't think the World Cup campaign is dependent on mm-hmm. him choosing who's better. I mean... Um, I, I still wouldn't discount Chris Patchell personally. Um, if you go back to the summer, um, he, he, he had a better tour than Anscombe, I yeah. thought. Um, I thought he was outstanding in Argentina. Um, and you know, he, he may, he may well be in, in this, in this position now where, where Anscombe is in. If, if he had those concussions at the start of the season and then obviously the, the injuries currently got, I mean, obviously Gatlin might think, well, you know, flopped against England. Which I think is a bit harsh. Um, last, um, you know, last, um, February in the Six Nations, maybe he'd be a bit wary of playing him in a big game, but, you know, when, when you're not guaranteed to have fun football, but I, 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 you know, I, I honestly think that Patchell is a player that, um, has the ability, ability to be a top international mm-hmm. class 10, but, you know, I'm a big Anscombe fan when he's at his best. He's got his weaknesses, but he's also got many strengths and, you know, you look at uh, Dan Bigger. I just think he's a guy you have to have in the 23. Agreed. Um, I, I, I personally, right, start with one. Obviously, not this weekend because he hasn't played a lot. But up to the World Cup, if everybody's fit, for me, I would go either Anscombe or Patchell to start. Yeah. And have Bigger on the bench. That, that's how I play it personally. Um, but no, yeah. I, you know, it'd be nice if if you had a ten, you know, absolute like a Farrell, you know, mm. a guy you could rally around. But I, I don't really think. The, the success or otherwise of Wales' World Cup is dependent on having a nailed on first choice 10. I mean, they've got three very, very good 10s and a great up, you, you probably won't go yet, but a great up and comer like Jarrod Evans as well. Um, so yeah, it would be nice, I suppose, but I, I don't really agree with that statement. I, I think there's other, other more important, uh, um, issues to, you know, to be had, you know, if, if Wales are, uh, can have a poor World Cup, but I think, I, I, I think we're, we're pretty strong in the town position, if I'm being honest. Yeah, we are. I, I suppose playing devil's advocate again here, though, Steph, is I guess the the way Wales's backs have perhaps not kicked on in the way that that some of the other top nations have, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere. Does some of that come? You know, does it? Does some of that come down to the fact that we've not known who's going to be playing outside half and who's going to be calling the shots? Um, not, not really, I don't think. Um, you know, as I said, in an ideal world, you, you would have your, in the, I think scrum half is, is a more, mm. a bigger issue than outside half, if I'm being honest with Um, Gareth Davis is one of the best rugby players in Wales. He's one of the best broken field runners mm. in the world. Brilliant finisher, got a lot of X factor. There's a lot of some of his fundamental scrum half skills have been found wanting, like his box kicking yeah. isn't really good enough. Sometimes his, his passing can be a bit wayward. Uh, you look at Ali Davis, good fundamental skills, but doesn't really pose much of a threat. Uh, Thomas Williams is potentially the best, um, the best nine out of the three in the long run. Um, I, I thought he played well against France personally, and in, in, I don't understand the criticism he had in the first half. Wales' pack on a back foot. Mm. He did nothing wrong. He, he made no errors. But, you know, you could call him a Ireland's pack was stuffed. Yet he was anonymous. And, and because of that, he was anonymous. Doesn't mm. mean he's not a world-class nine. And obviously, I thought in the second half, he played really well. Um, so I, th- I think that's more of an issue. I, I still think Reese Webb will, uh, will be brought back to Wales before the World Cup. Personally, that's my gut feeling. But Steph, um, Steph, we could dedicate a whole hour to that. You know that you know that the the Reese the Reese Webb thing could uh, could blow up again. Um, let's stick on it though. If if Reese Webb if Reese Webb is fit, he's, he's straight in that number nine shirt, surely. 
Yeah, I mean the argument so not fit if he if he if he is available for selection. Yeah, the there. argument against it is that these three scrum halves have been playing re- have been working really hard. Mm. Um, you know, was it fair to bring Webb back in? That that's a valid argument, but fair your sport. Who you mm. pick your best players? That's the end of it, really. And uh, he's comfortably, I'm going to say, comfortably wields his best nine. But uh, you know, available at the moment, but he's comfortably the best. The best Welsh Welsh nine, scrum yeah. half. Um, in my opinion, um, so yeah, uh, I picked, you know, I suppose, I assume you were going to ask me, I, I picked Thomas Williams against, um, England, um, yeah. and I have Darth Davis on the bench, um, because I think he can make a big impact off the bench. Because that's, you know, whatever you think about Gareth Davis, he's a brilliant impact player. Um, but yeah, yeah well, Webb is the best come out. Yeah, I, um, I think the thing with Gareth Davis that you know I've I've said before it can just be it can be a little bit frustrating to watch at times oh. and usually it's it's in the first 20 minutes of a game where I think you can find it a bit frustrating go go you know he hasn't given that level of control that you want from a really top class nine but then more often than not come minute 21 he runs that supporting line and gets the opening try of the game or he makes a break around the around yeah. the fringes and and all of a sudden can turn the game there's there's no there's no doubt in my mind that he is Still a match winner at international level. Yeah, the, the positives outweigh the negatives. Isn't Agreed. It? Yeah. Um, you know, he there are negatives in his game. Uh, we've mentioned. I actually thought his boxing was actually pretty good when he came off the bench against France. Mm. <laughs> I've criticised that a couple of minutes ago. Um, he, he gave one well baffling pass, which was nearly inter- I think it was intercepted, wasn't it? Um, it was. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, look, we you know we were lucky to get away with that. Um, but yeah, the, you know, he, he, he's a sort of scrum half. You know, he's going to, you just know he's going to make a good few errors. But you know, he's also going to create tries. He's a bit of a talisman as well, isn't he? You know, he's a sort of guy that can spark you into life. Um, and ideally, you know, you would have a, a more cultured scrum half, I suppose. You know, you would look to sort of get, get those errors out of his game. Um, which I'm sure they are trying to do. But yeah, I mean, People constantly have a go at Gareth Davis on social media, and a lot of you know some of the criticism is valid, but all around I think the positives outweigh the negatives, and ultimately he's he's scored some cracking tries at international level. He's made an impact at international level, and um, um, you know even with Webb fit, he's you know even with Webb available, if he was to become available, he's still. He'd still be in a World Cup squad, wouldn't he? Because he's oh, in the top three scrum halves in Wales, so if not the best at the moment. So let's just yeah, stick yeah. with scrum half for a moment. And I, th- I felt a bit disappointed, and I was hoping for a bit more from Alan Davis yesterday. I don't think he'll be he'll be putting that one up there with his best, you know, with his best performances because he's been in good form this season. Yeah, but you say that right? How many times did our Alan Davis? How many times was he the first person to arrive at a ruck? You know, there were a couple of times where he was the first man there and the forwards weren't, for whatever reason, hadn't arrived and mm. he was knocked off the ball and it wasn't his fault. It's because he didn't have any protection. You know, Arled's Arled. He's an excellent box kicker. He's got the best service by far out of the three scrum halves, including Webb, actually. Um, you know, he's, he's, a t- he's tactically good, but he did, I know he made one break on the blind side. Mm. He doesn't really offer enough of a threat, does he? He is what he is. He's a safe pair of hands. Has he got that little bit extra? Probably not. But, you know, again, up to the scrum halves available. I mean, personally, actually, I think that the form scrum half in Wales in regional rugby at the moment is Lloyd Williams. Mm. I'd argue he should be in a squad ahead of him. But he is playing well. Um, he has played well for the Ospreys. Um, Gatlin likes him. He, he's outstanding. And um, it was a second test in um, in Argentina. Um, but, yeah, as I said, he is what he is. You know what you're going to get. You know, solid, great service, very good box kicking, uh, very little errors, very few errors, but, you know, he's, he's not really gonna, gonna spark you, um, into life like Gareth Davis might do. So, you know, it is what it is, but, um, yeah, he, he didn't have his greatest game, but I don't think he was as bad as some people made out. No, I don't, no, I don't, but I think at the same time, that's, that is test match rugby, isn't it? There are going to be days, whether it's your fault or, you know, and, and I agree, I think it is the forwards, it's the forwards job to secure that ball, but you've got, you've got to adapt because so when they get, when the game plan 
doesn't go the way you want it to, that's where you've just got to get that ball away a bit quicker and, and, and make sure you're securing it. So I don't know. I, I think it's, it's somewhere between the two. Again, there's a lot of nonsense flying around on social media at the moment, not just with Ali Davis, but with that whole, that performance on the whole, you know, from, from everyone. I think it's been blown massively out of proportion. Um, but I think they're, they're the things, you know, and in a way, that's what you find out at test match level, whether it's, whether it's the ability to adapt your game or the ability to be able to offer that threat that that you're you're going to need from a, from a nine to to win it, you only really find those things out in a in a test match environment. So again, it kind of almost brings it back to that to that first point about Gatlin's selection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we've discussed the the ten changes, and I think he, you know, I've accepted why he's done it. So I'm not going to criticise that, but. I, I, would you be comfortable starting Ali Davis against, I don't know, England or New Zealand? Um, not at the moment, I don't think. And I, you know, you're right. He's he's a safe pair of hands. Um, but I think you you need a threat now from from nine. I think you need a real threat that is going to tie in back rowers, um, or make that difference, score a try, set up a try, really pose a threat. You know. International rugby, you need to score tries now, and that has to come from, and that has to come from all across the back line. And for me, you know, again, any anyone who, who listens to this every week knows what a big fan of Thomas Williams I am. I think he has that all around, all round skill, and I think his first instinct is to see where the where the opportunity is. Now, whether that's whether that's by giving it to giving it to his ten, going himself. Um, or exploiting a little chip over the top, and that that to me is, is exciting to watch. And I think that's the there's a there's a real um, a real kernel of talent there that that with the right you know with the right coaching, I think he he does have all the skills to be a, a proper world beater. But Alec, to go back to the point, yeah, I, I just think Alec Davis is probably that little bit that little bit behind Thomas Williams and, and Gareth Davis, and certainly Reese Webb in terms of in terms of making you feel properly comfortable against the top-class international side. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd agree with that. Um, Thomas Williams is a work in progress, mind mm. um, Oh, he is. Yeah, he's got, um, he's got, you know, flaws in his game, but, you know, he, he needs to iron out. But, yeah, as you said, rightly said, um, you know, his all-round skill set is superior probably to the to the other two in the squad. If you mm. if you could combine Arle Davis and Gareth Davis, you'd have one of the best names in the world, wouldn't you? Well, um, I'd I'd argue that that player wouldn't look too dissimilar to Reese Webb, to be honest. No, that's um, true. I'm a, yeah, you know, I I just think he's uh, yeah. Let's let's not get it. Let's not get into the politics or, or whether he'll be back or not. But just in terms of what he is like as a player and what he's demonstrated at Test match levels time and time again is you know he's he's proven class. He does have it all. He's got brilliant um he's got brilliant service. His box kicking game is good. Um, and you know the threat that he that he poses with ball in hand is, uh, you know, is, he's just shown time and time again by by the by the number of tries he scored and set up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and to go on in terms of just to stay in the selection narrative, uh, England obviously have, um, you know, their kicking game has been phenomenal this this Six Nations. We, we saw, you know, Ireland usually exploit people in the air, but England. Yep. When the kicking game hands down, they certainly France did. Dreadful today. Um, you know, Farrell played Harvick with them. Um, George North isn't the best in the air. Yeah. Would you dare to drop him for the England game? I suppose the question the, the question is then, you know, who do you drop him for? So I mean, Liam Williams and Josh Adams, I think, have both been have both been two of Wales's better players in the, in the opening fixtures. And again, in terms of high ball, I you know Liam Williams is really top class under the high ball. I think Josh Adams is still you know he's still relatively uh, relatively inexperienced in terms of Test match rugby, but I think he's he's got that skill set. He's played enough enough times at fullback at club level that I don't feel he's hugely exposed. Whereas North, I do, I do worry about um, under the high ball. Um, so what, you know, what would you, what would you propose bringing in Jonah Holmes for him or? Well, that's the thing. I mean, personally, I if would. If Halfpenny was fit, I would, I would move Liam to the wing and have yeah. Halfpenny at fullback. I agree. I, mean, I, I, I would stick with North because, mm. um, you know, he's, 
he 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 is you know the post again you know he he is an outstanding player mm. that that is a, a bit of a weakness it's always been a weakness if we're being brutally honest but he's just a world class finisher he just you know he just knows his way to the try line he's yeah. got some really big tries and again the positives by far outweigh the negatives of George North and you know I, I'd stick with him because I don't re- I know Harlem he must a very good player I rate him very highly but mm. I just don't think there's I think you'd be losing too much if you drop north, if I'm being honest. But on your Liam Williams point, mm. right? He's saying how good he is in the air and how yeah. well he's played. And obviously, yeah, yeah, he's played well in the hole. But, you know, you can clearly see, well, I can clearly see in the, in these first two games, why in the past he hasn't been considered as a full back. His decision yeah. isn't good enough. I, know, I, I think you're right. It's been the same since he was a kid coming through at the Scarlets. Right, he's he's a brilliant instinctively. He's excellent. He's a terrific broken field runner. He's a mm. terrific player, and he has played well in his last two games. But against France, right? Yeah, sorry, he has to give that ball to Jordan Davis. It was crim- that was criminal. Mm. That was right against um, Italy yesterday. Right, uh, Owen Watkins screaming for the ball outside him. All he had to do was pass the ball, and he would have mm. been in. When Josh Adam scored, he was a lucky boy there because if he'd given the ball straight away, he was a walk-in for Adams. Mm. Um, now, he's a brilliant player, but that that is his Achilles heel. And the argument in the past has been, uh, I think it was from Howley, but don't quote me on that, is that he dies with the ball too much. Yeah. And I can see where they're coming from. I know I'm sounding really negative here because, again, you know, every other aspect of his game was, was probably world-class, but... I still think that half penny is the best option we have got at full back, and I, I think he's uh, he's a better winger than he is fifteen. Yeah, I'm prepared. I'm prepared to admit I was wrong on this because, again, going back 12, 12, 14 months, I felt that I was really keen to see Liam Williams have a run of games at fifteen for Wales. But you know, I think if if half penny stays fit, that's his shirt, and I think you only need to look at France today. And Ireland the week before, um, both playing people who are potentially not, you know, playing in the back three. France played two players who are converted centres on the wing. Uge, I know, has played has played rugby at fifteen, but when you don't have that familiarity in the back in the back unit, look how much look how much space England got, how much change they got out of that. Yeah. They, they had the same against Ireland, and Joe Schmidt made an uncharacteristic blunder by picking Henshaw there rather than Rob Carney. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I do think that, God, forgetting what my point is now. I was just, yeah, Lee, Lee Halfpenny, he sweeps up a lot of those balls. You know, in, in both of those games, that would not have been as easy for England to, <laughs> to dominate by kicking the ball if Halfpenny is there in the backfield doing the basics. I was speaking to, um, uh, one of Halfpenny's coaches at Cardiff uh, RFC, you know, mm-hmm. when he came through and he said, if you watch Halfpenny carefully, right? When it, when he's playing full back, you very really very sorry very rarely see the ball hit the grass yeah. in terms of when people are kicking towards him. Positionally, he's he's an absolute genius. Mm. Um, oh yes. When you cover as a journalist, when you cover games at Parker Scarlets, the, the press bench is literally well, you're literally next door to the coaches, and every time you watch the Scarlets play and you sit in near Pivak or Jones or Byron Hayward. Halfpenny is the one player that they're always purring over. Yeah. Um, people who criticise Halfpenny, I'm not saying that, you know, every criticism is rubbish because, yeah, you know, obviously Liam Williams is better than attack. But those who say the Halfpenny, I don't know what he offers apart from his kicking. Mm. I'm sorry, I just don't understand rugby. Yeah. You know, I think Sam Warburton said that once, and he? I think he was last season. He's a brilliant, brilliant all-round player, and I, I think he's, he's somebody we're missing as well because... Um, as I said, you know, defensively um, against Italy as well. Remember, you know, they made a lot of breaks because we made some poor reads in the back yep. three. Same against France. Um, Halfpenny isn't just great himself; his communication is excellent, and um, I don't think that his position is under threat whatsoever. Should he make a full recovery, I think yeah, that's he's it. the best fullback. The biggest threat to Halfpenny's position is his is his own health and fitness, and yeah. um, you know. Look, but that said, I I, um, I still think with with Liam Williams to go back to that point and continue the narrative of uh, 
of this of this podcast, the positives outweigh the negatives. And this is still a guy who's played, uh, you know, he's played for the Lions at 15 and made a massive impact against against the All Blacks. You know, he started all three tests at 15, and um, you know, he still does offer a massive threat from from fullback. But it, you know, it, again, if you had that opportunity to merge his attacking prowess with Lee Halfpenny's decision making and defensive um, and defensive uh, positioning, you've got yourself, you know, the, the greatest fullback that ever lived there. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but you know, Liam is an excellent fullback. Don't get me wrong. I'm, mm. I'm just being a bit pickier, but you know, I can see why he hasn't been considered as a yeah. fullback. Obviously, he has been considered. But I can see why he hasn't been the first choice fullback. And and remember, right? He's not first choice of Sarvasons. I'm not fullback. He's, a, he's seen as a wing. I mean, that's partly because Alex Good is, um, you know, is such a terrific player and has mm. been for a number of years. But you know, you look at Scarless as well. You know, you know when they won the league. Yeah, um, they had that run in. Johnny McNichol was a fullback, wasn't he? I tell, I tell you, I tell you one thing though, Steph. He's more of a fullback than Johnny McNichol is. In, I, in I, defense, in defense, I, I rate yeah. Johnny McNichol very, very highly. But you know, if we're talking about decision making that can cost you a game at fullback, McNichol is more. Um, you know, he's more exposed defensively and positionally. Oh, defense, defensively, he he is a bit of a liability at times. Uh, but in attack, his decision making is excellent because yeah, no, one thing McNichol is um, he started out playing as a as a centre, as an inside yeah. centre. So his decision making is very good. He brings people onto the ball a lot more. He doesn't die with the ball. Um, I, I I probably personally would have picked Liam Williams at full back ahead of uh, ahead of McNichol for those games. But I'm just making the point that you can see why he's seen more as a wing from certain coaches. Than, than the the general public thinks. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. It. It's a really good point. And I and you know, like I say, I'm I'm someone who's been who's been one round to that way of thinking. I think in a way, Liam, uh, sorry, in a way, Lee Halfpenny's biggest problem has been the fact that he was such an outstanding player. You know, he looked so comfortable, at, be it at 15 or or on the wing, at the age of 20, um, that it's almost hard to replicate that level that he had before. And I think he has suffered a bit because of that horrendous injury he suffered in 2015. And he doesn't have that same counter-attacking a threat that he, that he once had. You know, you look back at the Lions in 2013 and tell me that, that Lee Halfpenny couldn't counter-attack or you look back yeah. at the World Cup in 2011. You know, I, I, I do miss those days of, of him making that break, readjusting his scrum cap yeah. and, uh, and, and making the right decision and passing, yeah. you know. I, I, I think he he has um, improved his attack since he's been at the Scarlets, mm. but I think he's lost the out of pace, isn't he? Yeah, he has. That, that's that's the that's the, the difference, really. If you go back, um, do you remember when the Blues won the um, the EDF Cup? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's, he liked it, electric. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't. He's still got the same sort of instinct in attack. He just hasn't got the pace, has he? Mm. So in a way, you have to give him credit for. You know, a lot of players when they lose their pace, that's it. Mm. But you know he's a Driscoll or similar in midfield. Yeah. He lost his pace, but he still played Test rugby for another five years because he he turned you know, himself into an open side flanker in many ways, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So oh, I think Halfman's a very smart player, if I'm being honest. Oh, I'd, I'd agree with you there, Steph. And um, you know he he had a, he had a bit of a dip of form around the Lions last uh, yeah. last time out, and and I think that's what cost him the that's what cost him the. Yeah. The place in the big in the big games, but yeah, there's no doubt that that Gallen and Haley clearly rate him as first choice fullback. And uh, um, if um, he's fit, he'll be much, there. Um, oh, we could go on forever, but <laughs> how, in terms of him playing fullback, uh, Liam Williams, I mean, for the Lions, how how much of a say did uh, Sexton and Farrell have in that? You know, yeah, yeah. interesting. I, well, you, you know, they've caught in the teams. You'd be more but, you'd be more plugged into this than uh, than I would. Um, you know, I, I I couldn't tell you any more, but it's it's an yeah, it's an interesting point. You're right. We we could uh, we could go on about this uh, all night, but I'm keen to get your take on the other two games of the weekend. Um, let's let's stick with let's stick with England. So you know, obviously, kind of blew France away in that first half to to pick up a bonus point. What have they done done so right so far in this tournament? Do you think, Steph? Um, <coughs> well, I touched on it earlier. I think the kicking has been exceptional. I think Elliot Daly at full-back has been a master stroke, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he's not as good defensively or under the high ball as Mike Brown, um, but he just gives you so many options. You know, he's a playmaker. He's he's fast. He can, he can finish. He's 
is kicking, you can kick off both both feet. Obviously, if it came to it, you can kick from about sixty meters as well. Mm. Um, but he just he just gives them so much variety behind the scrum because when you lose jo- uh, George Ford from the team, um, obviously the, he has his he has his weaknesses himself mm. and his critics. I, I'm a fan personally, but he gave England a lot of variety. So if you're going to have Farrell at ten. You sort of needed the extra playmaker elsewhere. I know you've got Henry Slade as well. Remember, he's he's he, you know you can play ten, but Daly just gives you that, as I said, the variety in the back three. Mm. I think Johnny May has been. Um, I think May has been absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to make a statement here, actually, which I could have put in fact or fiction if we hadn't kept it well centric. I think he's the most improved player in international rugby. But he's, in yeah, I'm struggling to think of anyone else. Maybe there is, but yeah, he's certainly massively improved. Um, you know, but I think, as I said earlier as well, Vonnie uh, Paul and Tulag, you don't give England a different dimension. They just allow them to do what they've always done better. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's Curry that gives them a bit of a different dimension because they finally got an open side. He's not world class yet, but he's an open side that can win ball at the breakdown. He can win turnovers. Uh, he can slow opposition ball down. And that's something that they've, they haven't really had. Um, you know, for a very long time. Oh, so, yeah. you know, he, he's, he, that, that's been a key aspect. But look, I- England are still England. I know it sounds like a daft statement to say, but they, they, they still, their first protocol is to still bully sides up front. Yeah. They're still schoolyard bullies and they bullied Ireland. They battered them into submission. They had a great kicking game. Aerially, they were excellent and they battered them. And after they battered them and thrown them around the place, they had a lot of space. They had front football. Um, France are hopeless. So what's the key? The key to beating England is putting them on the back foot. It's, it's the key to beating the All Blacks is putting them on the back foot. You know, you put any team on the back foot, and suddenly they look they look human, don't they? Mm. Um, do I think Wales can do that? I don't think their front five is strong enough personally to. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to get battered like Ireland um, because you know they'd be more sort of mentally sort of. Prepared for it, maybe. Perhaps Ireland have got carried away with the with their autumn form. I don't know. Only they can answer that. Um, so I think Wales would be competitive up front, but I don't think I think England will, will win that battle in the front five. If I'm being honest. So the reason I said, "Oh, let's pick Thomas Young," mm. is because our chance of winning is at the breakdown. And uh, you know, we we've got to score more tries. Yeah. Scoring two, that was a disappointing thing yesterday. We had enough ball. We had enough territory in possession. Scoring only two tries against Italy was was a pretty poor effort, wasn't it? That that was oh, a yeah. big disappointment, really. We won, most important thing. We're going to have to score tries to beat England. Um, so I think realistically, you're going to have to advance them a ten. But um, yeah, I, I think it, I think so. It's a very difficult one, but for me, Wales can beat England, but you know it's, it's going to be difficult. England are the the firm favourites. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, it, 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 all it does take is, is an off day. And like we've said before, yeah. you know, Grand Slams, it is very, very hard to pull together five vintage performances to win to win a Grand Slam because oh, it, it, you're right, it's, it's cup it's cup rugby, you know. It's it's very, very hard to do that. Wales' Grand Slams in the past, there has been there has been a dud performance in there and one where we've kind of got out of dodge. You look at the... Um, look at Wales in 2013. Who would have said after two weeks that we were going to beat England at home and blow them away and, and win the title there. I know it wasn't a grand slam, but we got blown apart by Ireland at home. Uh, we scraped past France with that George North, um, that George North try in the corner, you know, and that was a really turgid performance. Um, but they yeah. saved their, their outstanding performance yeah. for, uh, for the game that mattered. And, and if they can do that this time, and I, it, is, it is a big if, but if they can do that this time and they, and England, you know, have a slight off day and Wales play to the level that they're capable of doing, then it will be, we'll be looking at this championship with a very different perspective than we are this weekend. Sorry, I forgot, I forgot to say as well, I don't know if you've read, um, read it online, but Eddie Jones has started the mind games already. He's saying this is the, the greatest Welsh team of all time. I did see the, po- yeah, he said it in the post-match interview, didn't he, with it, with that kind of wry, that wry smile on his face. Yeah, so, um, you know, there'll be a lot of mind games the last two, the next two weeks, but I agree with you. Um, I do feel that there is a big performance in Wales. I mean, seeing big performance, they've won the last 11 games. Yeah. 
But um, there's no doubt that if they play the way they have in the last 11 games, and they mm. played well on the whole in the last 11 games, but that won't be good enough to beat England on no, it. Uh, but they, you know they, they can go up a couple of levels, and um, it's on the day, isn't it? They they can beat England, but just feeling them probably have a bit too much for them. But we'll see. Let's quickly get your thoughts on France, Steph, because I know you're not a man who minces his words. How deep are the problems in French rugby at the moment? They're pretty deep, aren't they? Um, on a positive note, um, their under twenties are currently the best in the world. So. Yeah. There are players coming through. Um, the top 14 has brought in that, uh, what they call the, the GIF rule. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, you have to have more French qualified players, but they're just, they're just behind, aren't they? I mean, they, they put all their, all their investment into what happens on the field. Um, you know, you talk to a lot of people, they're, they're not good in terms of the coaching isn't as good as in, uh, is in, as in the UK or the Southern Hemisphere. Um, fitness is pretty shambolic in comparison to all over here, um, you know, for example, Wales are a lot fitter than I thought. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's running pretty deep. They're a bit like a South Sea, they're a bit like a South Sea Island team, aren't they? You know, mm. they, they've got brilliant individuals, but uh, they can't put it together anymore. And, and they, they lack structure. Oh, yeah, massively. And um, they haven't had any structure since uh, Bernard Laporte was, uh, was coach, if I've been honest. Yeah. It's been a very long time. Some pretty, um, yeah, it, it runs pretty deep, I think. And let's have a quick chat about Ireland uh, overpowering Scotland. Uh, the referee has dominated a lot of the headlines. What did you make of Roman Poit's performance? I thought he was all right, personally. Um, I think Scotland have got no one to blame but themselves. Mm-hmm. I thought they made far, they shot themselves in the foot. Um, Ireland didn't have to get out of second gear, really, did they, to win. They just did basics well. You know, that first... Um, Irish try was just shambolic by Scotland. There's a couple of, like, you know, they get on the front foot and then Finn Russell throws a stupid forward pass. Momentum gone. Um, Yeah, they just... Yeah, they they really shot themselves in the foot, didn't they? Uh, But, you know, Scotland are, 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 you know, they're a massively improved side. Yeah. Um, But I I don't really think that it's fair... It's it's a fair argument to say that Roman Poit cost them the game because... that's simply not true. They, they, Scotland cost the game. Well, crucially as well, you know, if you want to beat the best sides, sometimes you have to beat the referee. And, you know, the, I, I said yesterday, I was speaking to someone on Twitter and said that I thought, you know, Ireland were getting a lot of the 50-50 calls. But you tend to when you're the better side. And um, when you make those improvements, you know, New Zealand, New Zealand can have a, a day where they have to beat the referee as well. It's, you know... It, Sometimes you just have to play that well and and control the things that are in your control. And they had enough ball and possession yesterday to win it. The the really telling factor was the amount of time they spent in the Irish 22 and didn't look like getting over the game line. I thought they lacked um they lacked that bit of power um from five yards out. I thought other than Strauss, they really lacked a, a powerful ball carrier to um, you know, to tie in two men and, and, and break the game line. And, and I think that's where, that's where they suffered. But I'll tell you one thing, they're a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, they are, uh, obviously the Scotland have got some excellent, um, in, in you know, they, they got a more rounded game, haven't they, than, than mm. they've had in the past. Um, Stuart Hogg is obviously the X Factor player. Um, Finn Russell is as well, although there are flaws in his game. Um, yeah, they they got a decent pack. Um, they're pretty good at the breakdown, and they got some really exciting backs. It's just, you know, that maybe that their sort of game management isn't as good as it as maybe the other three um, mm. home nations. Uh, I think they'll leave them down a little bit because, as I said, Ireland was just Scotland could have won yesterday, I suppose, but you did have that feeling that Ireland could have gone up a couple of gears if they yeah. needed, and they ultimately they just. Did enough, and Scotland were were their own worst uh, worst enemies. And uh, as I said, uh, I don't really think that Roman Poit is to blame for their defeat. Yeah, I think Scotland looked out on their feet actually after about 60, 60 minutes as well. It, it, you really felt they had to take the chances in the first half and um, and put the pressure on Ireland if they were going to if they were going to win that game. And obviously they they weren't able to do that. Let's uh, let's finish on this though, Steph. I would like to get your thoughts on uh, on both of these things, and that is 
Who's been the, the, the most impressive player for you this week? And uh, who has had a week to forget, be that a player, a referee, or whoever you uh, whoever you might choose? Uh, best player, uh, probably say um, Johnny May. Mm-hmm. Um, hat trick. Just just been up. If, if the Lions been a test match tomorrow, I think he'd be on the wing. Yeah. Him and Stockdale, I think. Um, he's just on fire. Weekend to forget. Uh, it's got to be French player, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, could be, it could be the entire the, side, the to be honest. Team, the whole team. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a sad situation we find ourselves in. Steph, it's been fantastic chatting to you. Great to have you on the attacking scrum again. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll chat to you very, very soon. Uh, thank you as well Thanks. for listening. Um, appreciate everyone listening and we've actually had our best ever listener figures uh, and consecutively in the last two weeks and uh, yeah we really appreciate that so do spread the word if you're enjoying this podcast leave us a review on itunes or just simply tell your mates in the pub or on the terraces um because yeah it's uh, it's always really nice to see that uh, the people are tuning in and enjoying it uh, but if you don't agree with anything we say feel free to drop us a line on twitter at attacking scrum make sure you like the facebook page and follow us on instagram and we'll be back to talk more rugby with you very very soon